This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Oh, I'm so happy to be here today and love the thought of coming to a scientific um, seminar like this with the opportunity to sort of bridge that gap between the science and actually how do you deliver the information to create behavior change in the public. And of course that's the role of public health and I've been um, involved in working in public health in Montana for about 35 years. Recently retired a few months ago. I just started collecting Medicare and I'm so pleased. And um, I continue my work though in public health um, with Special Olympics International. So what, I've, uh, what I'd like to share with you today is some work that we did at the Missoula Health Department. And for those of you who don't know, Missoula's um, in the western side of Montana, and it's been called the Berkeley of the Rockies. And we fit, fit very well in this part of California as well as in Missoula. I see my husband's here, and he's lived in both places, so he can attest to the wonderfulness of Missoula. Um, I've, our work at the Missoula Health Department, I'm just going to give you a real quick uh, view of the structure that we had because it's similar to most local health departments. Our funding comes primarily from federal grants with some local tax support whether, when the grants require local matching. And the typical division of a health department involves environmental health, communicable disease um, prevention, and maternal and child health and the WIC program. So those are like pretty much core activities, and then the larger the community, the more diverse the um, programs are. So one of the limitations I had that we have working in the Missoula Health Department is that we have very little local tax support, and so with the majority of our funding coming from directed funding streams such as um, CDC or USDA or Health and Human Services, we're pretty much tied to following those protocols. And of course, they all start with the Institute of Medicine. And so the challenge for us at, the, at our health department was how do we um, work around and not, not spend money that's being provided by different organizations or agencies that require us to follow certain protocols. We sort of wove in um, a different way of doing public health nutrition business. So I, um, in thinking about what public health has to offer, it's a little, of course, different from private health in that um, public health, the entire community is our patient. And instead of looking at a lab report, we look at an epidemiology report and kind of get a sense of what areas are of highest priority to address from the public health perspective. And this, the assumption is, I mean, the, the standard usually is that in hiring, there's uh, the individuals most often have a strong science background. So we hire public health nurses, nutritionists, epidemiologists, and environmental scientists, and more recently, community health specialists, which have been a super boon to our ability to connect better with the public. I put this kind of list of skills, and I think of all the things that becomes super important is the idea of cultural anthropology, because we hear of best practices, we learn about what works well in one community, we learn about standardized messages that we want to share with our community, but the only way they really work is if 
you take into account the culture of the community and adapt the messages and the delivery of interventions to meet the needs of the community. And I'll give you some examples. We have, um, in my health department, the, the idea was that, well, we don't have a very diverse population. It's extremely white, and there is are as many as 3% of the population is Native American, and less than 1% is African American. So it's you go into our community, and you don't really see the diversity that you might see in um, many other communities. But our culture still is very unique, and it's not based on um, this variety of languages and such, but it is, if you look at it from a different perspective, and one perspective we tried to change in the past 10 years was instead of looking for cultural um, ethnic differences, we started focusing on um, people with disabilities as a separate group and and tried to work with reducing disparities for different populations like that, and and I think it's sticking. It's been really interesting and um, kind of a struggle because just as the vitamin D issues are, I don't know if it's fair to say rigid, but there is a dogma out there that you can't really deviate much from, so was the case at our health department. And if we're doing what we're doing and we've done it well, why would we want to change? And so we had to bring in our um, anthropology little bits of education that we had gotten in our undergraduate work and really try and apply some of those principles. We use social marketing, and probably the finest examples of, of social marketing are what happens with the Vitamin D Council and with Grassroots Health, where the messages are tailored to meet the needs of the population, the target population that they're trying to reach. Science background, for sure, and probably one of our, as I get older, I get more and more frustrated over the number of youth that don't seem to have a grasp of the scientific process and scientific method, and therefore the ability to be critical thinkers. So although people in public health, at least in, in our, my system in Montana, have science background, we have to work with a public that we assume does not, and that that provides another challenge. Interpersonal communication, facilitating groups, and making friends and influencing people. And probably the last one, the longer you stay in a place, I would assume many of you have been working in the same community for many years, and you make those network connections, and it really does help make work possible. Okay, um, are, are most of you familiar with the public health parable about the river? Well, I, I have a, a YouTube reference that I'll leave here. It'll be on the slides in case any of you want to see it, but it goes sort of like this. There's a fisherman standing on the side of the river and having a beautiful day of fishing. It's quiet, and all of a sudden, a body comes floating by, and he drops his equipment and dives in and saves this person, and he's giving CPR on the um, banks, and then all of a sudden, he hears screaming, and there's another person floating down the river. And he's puzzled, like, what am I going to do now? I've got to take care of this. Well, okay, I'll jump in and get the next person. And before you know it, there's another person and another, and pretty soon there's clusters of people. And so the guy has to run real quick and get some friends to start pulling these bodies out. And pretty soon there's a huge crowd around the river. The bodies are floating by. They're barely able to save them, and now some they can't save. And 
one of the um, primary people who had come to help just walks away, and the fisherman says, where do you think you're going? We've still got bodies to save. And he said, well, I'm going to run upstream and find out why all these people are falling in the river. And so that's kind of the parable, is that we can put all of our emphasis in our work downstream, or we can start looking upstream at what's causing the problems and try to prevent them on that level. And I think vitamin D... Um, action and um, advocacy fits so perfectly in the upstream kind of um, mentality. I mention this because if any of you are going to be working with public health agencies, that's like a primary um, message in their mind. If you use the word upstream, you're on the same page immediately. Otherwise, you know, we start getting... I love how Paul talked about the uh, ways you can distract from your final message by giving more data. So I'll be teaching you some, hopefully, some little tricks that help communicating with public health officials. It helps them, um, it sort of greases the wheels on it. So community assessment. We started getting interested in vitamin D research. Um, when I was a young mother, my primary interest was on infant nutrition, and then it moved. And then pretty soon it was menopausal nutrition. And then the chronic diseases settle in, and no, no surprise here, vitamin D became of high interest to me. And our first, um, there's a nutritionist, Kathy Breeden from North Dakota, who sort of piqued our interest in um, lots of different nutrition kinds of pieces of information and research. And we had sort of a debate with her about whether or not we would be um, liable for malpractice if we started recommending higher doses of vitamin D. And she took us down a different path about your immoral and unethical if you do not. And so that sort of trumped our Institute of Medicine recommendations and sort of gave us permission to actually start doing what was right for our community. We did, um, once we decided we wanted to do vitamin D promotion and um, to get some assessment going in our community, some of the things we did was to do some research and find out who did testing in the community, how much did it cost, what did it entail, and that we wanted to find out who else in the community was sort of vulnerable, early adopters, who would like to work with us in this kind of a public health initiative. It was different than breastfeeding. It was different than five, a day, five fruits and vegetables a day. It was more of a um, cross-cutting kind of intervention that would reach from, you know, the full life cycle, from pregnancy to breastfeeding to early infancy, all the way through aging population. And so we had to look outside our normal box and try and bring in people. And our, we didn't so much as call a coalition together. What we do is invite our friends out to lunch and sort of pounce on them and say, will you help us with this? We're going to be doing something really exciting. Would you like to help? And that, that turned out to work pretty well. We um, uh, wanted to get, this was something the Vitamin D Council helped us with. I'm sure all of you have seen their website, but you know they've got all the disease conditions and current research and references on certain things. And I'll use um, an example of psoriasis. You know, you can look that up on the Vitamin D Council and find out all the information. So what we tried to do is look, using that tool, we looked at 
what areas of interest were going on at our health department. And they uh, were the things that had ended up in our strategic plan and included HIV and tuberculosis, um, obesity, and tried to find the, diet, uh, the vitamin D message that related to those conditions that were already being addressed in the community. Rather than starting a whole new initiative, we wanted to enhance the things that were already happening. So I'll show you some examples of how we did that. Um, and these were probably the first, yeah, these were the first groups of fact sheets we tried to put together before we wanted to roll this out within our department. And one of the other lingo um, words that we use in public health is what's, what's in your toolkit. So when we're trying to uh, formulate a new intervention strategy for the community, we we put together the best resources we have. And I brought some examples along. But what we decided to use with, um, for vitamin D included these. And I'll go through them one at a time. I'm sure you're familiar with most of them. But prior to doing this, we worked to get our, all the health department staff in the nutrition department, the one that I was in charge of, to get their vitamin D levels tested. And that became, that was pretty controversial, just asking people to get tested. And because it was, why am I spending money if, if um, I'm doing what is recommended? I'm drinking milk, therefore I must be okay. But over time, we, so we, we thought we'd get all, everybody tested at once, we didn't. It was two or three. Then we'd bring them to our staff meetings and sort of report. We had like a vitamin D report every Wednesday morning. And before we knew it, most of the people were getting, had gotten their vitamin D tests, and some were very proud. And then they started talking about supplements, because the idea was we wanted the staff that we expected to be the educators to know it on a personal level so they're better able to connect with the, um, the rest of the clients that we'd be working with. So on our toolkit, and let me tell you that pretty much everybody was below 20. And Montana is, um, we're at 47th parallel, and it's, we are an outdoor community. We are noted for all the cross-country skiing and the fishing and the sports and the hiking, and yet here we are. We're all low in vitamin D. So part of our toolkit that we put together, um, first of all, the grassroots disease chart, I'm telling you, that has gotten so much mileage. We use it, we use it whenever we can, and we used it to, for training for the staff. And I remember, I, I didn't know who Carol was. I just knew this came from Grassroots Health because it was on the um, bottom of the page. And I called her and said, are you going to update this, or is this the one we can use now? And she, she was so excited for the call. And she said, what do you think about the overlap? And you all know this, this chart. And I didn't know what she meant by the overlap, but I didn't want her to know that I didn't know because I was trying to sound like I was really in the know. And then she said, no, look at where everything clusters. And I took, me, took my eye to that area, and it was like an aha moment. Then I, then I really went to town. We printed up like 500 copies. This is every client that came into the department got one eventually. And it's, they say, yeah, yeah, we've seen the chart. We know what it means. I mean, it's, it's become like a little Bible in our, um, in our, in our network. The other thing, we, we use these three websites as references for people if they want more information. Because usually when a client comes into 
our health department, they have, uh, unless they're waiting for an immunization, we probably have their attention for five to 10 minutes. So our, our interaction with them has to be such that we're able to impart some information, and it needs to be in the motivational interviewing style based on what's important to them and how can we help beat their needs by sharing something that we know to be important. So we, we refer to these three websites, depending on what their um, questions are. We, there's a couple books that have become absolutely, actually we have three books. One is What to Eat by Marion Nessel, and the second is Dr. Hollick's book on the vitamin D solution, and the third wonderful, easy reading and so informative is Dr. Cannell's book on uh, Faster, Quicker, Stronger with Vitamin D. And we give our graduate students um, assignments before they start. They have a um, master's in public health program at the university. And they, we ask them to read one of the three books, three, all three of them, preferably. And, you know, there's kind of the eye rolling, like, you've got to be kidding. But we figure if they really want to work in the public health, they have to have some grounding with some a good scientific background. And, and typically, they'll pick one of the vitamin D books first because they're thinner. And then before we know it, they've read all three of them, which tickles us pink. We use the, um, that gauge that... Uh, was shown earlier that talks about 40, but uh, what we really would, I don't have the more recent one on here that sort of pushes people into the direction of trying to have a blood level of 60. We use the maps, a variety of them that show um, where the latitude is and sort of to explain, we're talking about vitamin D and it's not your fault. It's the sun's fault because it goes through the ozone at an angle and we, we don't get quite enough. It's the Earth's axis. So we have these different tools. We also have um, examples of supplements. So we're going to be, we, we anticipate that we're going to be talking about sun safety. We talk about different levels of vitamin D and calcium and magnesium and multivitamins. And we sort of take it as far as we're able with keeping the person's attention and making sure they get the most basic information before they leave. We also have glasses of milk because there's this um, belief that drinking milk, eating salmon, is, and some fortified cereals is really going to be enough. And so we try and not say, you don't know what you're talking about. We say, yes, you can get this amount. You can get a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and you need even more. So we have this toolkit, and then a risk assessment for the very motivated. They'll actually sit there and complete the whole thing and, and get a sense of whether or not they're going to be vitamin D deficient. I, um, brought, I, I brought this example because many of the things that we have in our toolkit, we put together in storyboards for staff, and they're laminated. And the staff then kind of picks what they're most comfortable using because we, we, it doesn't, hasn't worked for us to have a prescribed script. It needs to be adapted to the client's needs and to kind of see where they're at. So we have these laying out on the staff's table. This is primarily for clients in the WIC program. And I've, as I've mentioned a couple times this week, half the families in America are enrolled in WIC when their children are under age five. So if we want to have 
a public health intervention that reads, reaches a broad swatch, that getting, getting something into a WIC program is, is really an efficient way to do it. So we use these um, storyboards for staff to be able to uh, kind of use images to, to teach the clients. What's missing from our toolkit? I wanted, I use this a lot because we do bone density screening in our department. And this, we're missing, we don't have anything like this for vitamin D, and I hope, I hope we will soon. We've used this for 12 years now, and they're essentially unbreakable. But it works on so many levels because it's visual, and it tells the truth without you having to read a bunch. What the message is, is this is a strong bone. You have X, Y, Z, and it'll make it really strong. Here's a bone that hasn't been um, well taken care of. Not enough of the nutrition you need, not enough of the exercise, and maybe some medications that have caused bone loss. And here's what happens when you break a bone. This is really effective for younger kids because they think a cast is cool, and so they don't really... It's, it's no big deal to break a bone. So we want to make sure that the message is there that it's very painful and it takes a while to heal. So we, I think we need something like this for vitamin D. We, um, the other thing that I, I would love it, and I've talked to some of you about what's the holdup, but it sounds like it's pretty, pretty monumental at this point. We, in WIC, we use a little... QVAT, um, it's called a HEMA-Q, and it's a spectrophotometer that does hemoglobin testing. Well, we, when WIC started out in the mid-70s, we had about a 9% anemia rate for children. Once we got, and it didn't move very fast, even with the education that was provided. Once we got our hands on this QVAT, um, or this HEMA-Q machine, our rates went from 9% anemia, and now it's less than 3%. What's different about this? Well, it took a small amount of blood, and it was instant. Like within a minute, you know the hemoglobin value. And it's so important to have that, that moment of readiness to listen to information. So we want something like that for vitamin D. And I, I understand it's a lot more complicated than just saying mimic this because of the... Um, tiny volume of vitamin D in the blood, but we still need it, and that would make a huge difference from public, the public health perspective. The third thing um, that we need, and I don't know exactly where it fits in because we want the sun exposure to be the primary um, message that we're giving, safe sun experiences rather than sunburn. But still, there's a long, long winter in Montana, such as and in Canada and Alaska. And I can certainly see a place for this kind of equipment. I understand it's about $400, which might work in a, for a clinic to purchase. It, it really wouldn't be um, reasonable to expect the public to have their own sun machines, I don't think. But I was interested in Dr. Hollick talking about the $40 reptile version, but he, he assures me that it's not enough. You, you, it would work, but it's just a tiny amount. So these are the kinds of things we need, and the biggest um, issue of all that's missing from our toolkit is a coherent message on vitamin D, um, what we need, and what are healthy levels. And because since our funding comes from the federal government, there's a 
an unspoken expectation that we're going to follow those recommendations. And even in our, in our health department where we systematically worked to get everybody on our page, there were people who were angry that we were recommending anything that went beyond this. So we need you guys to solve that problem, and I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah. Now, as Paul said, there's different ways of presenting data that make sense. And the dietitians that work in my department are absolutely in love with this. This is a concept map that shows all the different nutrients, how they interact, what's the fallout if you have too much or too little. And there's, I love that um, slide you showed, Dr. Wirtz, sorry, uh, about the... Um, Blood testing, there's, there's similar concept maps out there that have much more information than you're able to see on a single page. But we can't show that to participants in the WIC program or pretty much anybody who comes into the health department because it's like, you've got to be kidding. I can't understand that, and how would you be, even begin to explain it? So this is what we do differently because probably the primary role in public health is to translate science into information and help motivate the public to actually use it. And I was in, my husband and I were in in Spokane a few years ago, and we had sort of, I had fallen off the vitamin D interest cliff. I mean, there's nothing as interesting to me now anymore as as vitamin D. But Dr. Cannell was on the radio, believe it or not, talking about um, the concept of saturating your body and all the cells with as much vitamin D as you need to protect health. And he had mentioned, we just turned the radio up, we were so happy, he had mentioned that um, every cell in the body has a vitamin D receptor site. And the question is, if we use that with the public, we would say, make that statement. And in public health, we would say, why do you think that is? What does that mean to you? Just to get people thinking about if every cell has it, why would evolution grow in such a way that that was the case? And the way Dr. Cannell presented it, I'm going to try it. I won't do it justice, and I don't have the numbers right, but we use this metaphor, and we have those pictures in our department. of um, That's Montana, by the way. That's Mammoth Hot Springs at, at um, Yellowstone Park. So... The message that was uh, presented on that broadcast is the f- if you take a little bit of vitamin D, you have receptor sites in the bone, and that's where it's going to go. In fact, I think um, Dr. Cannell had said 15% of all the vitamin D is going to go into the bone, and it's going to take care of that first. And then once you've satisfied that, just like a little pool on a mountainside, the water will dip down and fill up another pool. And what if... Those, after you fill bone, then there's another group of cells that are going to take the vitamin D preferentially. And forgive me if this is the wrong order, but this, the concept remains the same. Then, so what if you have to take care of those systems first, and then you get some going to the brain? And then your teeth start being protected, and then the colon. But that a little bit is not going to satisfy all the systems and all the cells in the body that have vitamin D receptor sites, and therefore you're going to have decline in the, um, it won't, those organs and those systems won't be reaching their maximum potential. 
And then we talk about um, the immunology and protection against infection and nerves where we would discuss things like Alzheimer's or depression, bone marrow, protection against um, cancer. And so anyway, this sort of a, of a metaphor really works in public health, and it's an example of translating science into uh, some information that the public can handle and kidney disease. So anyway, that's, that's just one example of how we would teach, and rather than... Could you go back to that metaphor a minute? Sure. <laughs> main, the, 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 the pool at the top is not bone. The pool at the top is maintaining serum calcium level. Okay. Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. So we'll have to put an arrow on that mountain up above, way up there with a little <laughs> bit of snow. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, good, good call. But it, it helps to explain if you have some little picture in mind that they can relate to. The, the one we use for um, dosing is the three bears metaphor, and everybody knows what that is, and is it? This is too salty, this is too whatever, but we, too little, too much, or just right. And here again, we bump up against differing opinions, and it's a challenge for public health. So we use this chart to say there's lots of different interests. Um, there's lots of different recommendations. We say, why not go for maximum health? But if you're satisfied to just take care of your bones, then that's your choice. Myself, I prefer to do the best I can for my body and for my children and for my family. So we use that. That works well with some of our clients. This is the other way we teach that same concept. Is Yes, you can stick over here and handle bone. And as Dr. Cadell pointed out, the first thing is we want to maintain blood levels of, our, of calcium so our heart continues working. But you could kind of move it along that continuum so they don't have to decide where they're going to go, but it will make sense when they get their blood tested and their uh, provider says, yes, 30 is just fine. We can say, well, it might be it, but you won't be protecting against these other um, conditions as well as if your blood level were higher. So then, as I mentioned, we needed to get fact sheets together to bring in different branches of the health department. Um, we talked. I talked to some yesterday about our suicide rates, Alaska is, has the highest suicide rates in the nation, and Montana is second. So we know that that's an area that we want to um, develop in the community to talk about our suicide prevention program and our mental health clinics so they start um, echoing what we're recommending with vitamin D. And looking down these lists, these are the different programs that we have within our department, and we assigned out... Um, primarily our graduate students, to develop the fact sheets for each of them. So some of the things that we got together, when I say fact sheets, these are not um, densely written documents. See the um, center one on the bottom, the flu, TB, and infections? That's as complicated as we can get but having references available, and I like your idea, Paul, of having them on the back side, but the picture is up front, and then it's a capsule. It's just a quick description, and it pulls the people in a lot more effectively than giving um, the data that we still do need to be able to formulate our messages to the public. So these are the, some of the things that we're using um, 
dental disease is a big, we don't have fluoridated water because of all these conspiracy theories. So what we have are outrageously poor dental health. And since we're not going to probably get fluoridation passed anytime soon, the big push with our dentists has now started to be information on vitamin D, and they're very receptive. I mean, they want their patients to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, too, and they'll keep coming to them. Um, we use the maps that uh, Bill Grant has on the Sunark. They're, they're wonderful pieces of information for the public. I mean, for our staff, and we would pull out one to make a point with the public. And if we don't understand it, we just give them a call. And it, that's what's the beauty of having this network of vitamin D advocates is everybody's so um, helpful and, and right there by the phone eager to help. So this is another example. I've, it, this has popped up on many slides. And we don't go for the, the lower levels that IOM. What we do is talk about just the assumption that everybody's going to get 4,000 units of vitamin D. So we say, yes, milk does have vitamin D. But if you want to get 4,000 units of vitamin D, it's going to be a big challenge. And it's the same thing of saying, I get my calcium from broccoli. You bet I understand, but it takes 16 cups a day to get enough. So is that what you, did you, did you know that? And kind of use these pictures of food as teaching tools for, the, for our patients and clients. Now, this is when, and I talked to Dr. Hollick about it because I shamelessly borrowed his teaching, and I don't know if these numbers are right, but they make the point, and he said this was okay. So here we go. We, there's always the fertility issue, and one of the blogs that we read talked about um, a woman, a nurse who worked at a fertility clinic, and she started giving vitamin D to the women who came in who were trying to get pregnant, and it didn't take very many treatments, if any, for them to get pregnant. And her, her overseers decided that she wasn't going to continue that at all because that might affect their ability to provide their services. So when women, but we think this is the way the staff in public health thinks. Okay, fertility, how would we represent that? Well, the panda's in the bear. This panda has a 20 nanogram level of vitamin D, 20 nanograms per mil. But look how much perkier she is once they get it up to 30. And guess what? By the time it's 50, she actually has her first, her first cup. And even better, when you get it up to 60, there's twins. So it's taking these little pictures and making a story out of it. And I'm telling you, it, it resonates with the public. And that's how that's, every department has a culture, and that's the culture of the Missoula Health Department. And then we come up with a slogan that's like. So we're a gardening community. It's considered Missoula's the garden city. And so we use that one, and that, that's helped our, our communication with the public as well. I mentioned we use maps, and that's more sophisticated, but it's certainly helpful when we're trying to do staff meetings and bring more department staff onto our side so they're supportive rather than um, subversive when we're providing our education. I think a lot of time, uh, one discussion that we had recently on the map on the right was this idea that Africa is all hot. You know, without a, a appreciation for how it ca crosses so many different latitudes. So we've, it 
keeps the conversation more friendly than lectury. And we figure, try to figure out ways to um, use images. Food has been always our our um, backup plan. Well, if you eat the right food, you're going to be vitamin D sufficient. Well, looking at the most recent Anne Haynes, and this is a little different from some of your slides, but the the articles that I read said that if you people eat a variety of foods, but on average, the American population only gets about 251 units of vitamin D a day from food. And it's not what you eat one day, it's what you eat every day. And I think that's where the misperception comes in. People think, well, I have this and this and this today. Yeah, but what did you have 364 days of the year prior to this? So we make that point. Um, and I'm going to tell you about a little project we started. After we did our gathering partners in the community, um, preparing the the program staff for vitamin D promotion, having them get their own testing done. We were so lucky to get some um, a small grant from March of Dimes. We purchased 300 bottles of vitamin D from Costco and started giving this out to pregnant women. And I'm telling you, this came right after we read Dr. Wagner's article, a Dr. Um, Hollis's article on lactation and vitamin D. I mean, it, it was just blew our minds, and so we started right in and got, were able to get a grant. We, um, the second, we used that up, and we asked mothers to go, we give them um, some vitamin D, not the whole bottle, but we asked them to go to their doctor and have a vitamin D test done. And when they brought that result back to us, then we could we'd give them a full bottle. And there, that, that was sort of a rub, of course, as you can imagine. Like, no, the doctors would not do the vitamin D. All you have to do is go outside for 10 minutes, and the mothers would come back, and we'd say, as soon as you bring that result in, we'll be able to give you the vitamin D. Well, <clears throat> that was the best education we had for our physicians, is the patient asking for the test, the test being done, and the doctor actually seeing how low, how very low the rates were. And remember, 47 latitude, it's really, and, and people are indoors. It's the same as everywhere nowadays. So we got that. Um, then the Vitamin D Council, I was talking to someone there, I think it was Brandt, about how we could get our hands on some more samples. We could take our, our vitamin D education to the next level. And lo and behold, he called and said, we're sending a request out for proposals. Go ahead and write up your application. We did. We were lucky enough to get um, some biotech vitamin D supplements. We continued on the same path, only we took it beyond the WIC clients. We started doing it with people that came in for heel scans for their um, osteoporosis screening and took it to the next level of giving it to families, so not just um, the mother and children. We wanted the fathers and the men in the families to be able to benefit, too. Um, then, luckily, there was a, this Very Smart Ventures is another vitamin D company that we were connected with with the Vitamin D Council, and they had drops like this. There's 1,000 units per drop, and they had, I think it was... A thousand bottles of this, or it was probably more than that. They came in on a truckload, and we had them all in stacked in my office and everywhere. And we continued our effort to get the physicians educated on what their patients' vitamin D levels were. By the time we reached this point, we had 
the reverse happening where the doctors were sending their patients to us to do vitamin D counseling and to get their free supplements. So we had come full circle, and now I'm happy to say it's vitamin D testing is part of routine annual exams for most people in Missoula. And my mother's in a retirement home, and she said, yep, everybody here has had their vitamin D tests. And so it, it took... But it took the support of the council to be able to give us the resources to move on. And it took Grassroots Health to, to help us with the education pieces and the seminars, those little videos that you guys do so very well. So we then finally we, we got some samples from Replesta, which is 50,000 units per tablet. And people were very, the staff was very hesitant to use it, but it gave us a chance to talk and explore that information that you were talking about, Bruce, about is it one day as good as a weekly dose is a good as a monthly dose, et cetera. So it was just another piece of the education. I love the report that you gave, Carol, that showed no matter what form that the person takes it in, it causes the same rise in blood levels. So that was just another tool we use. I still have mine because I prefer to take my supplements every day. So this was the, the big intervention we did since, since then, and that continues. Since then, we, we've put together some frequently asked questions just so staff know what, how to answer these things. So how are supplements made? Again, we use the pictures. Wool lanolin plus light equals supplements. And mushrooms plus light equals supplements. And th- that isn't scary. It's, it's less scary for people to know that they're not um, a big pharmaceutical product. I mean, they, they can distinguish between a supplement <clears throat> versus a prescription. And then I just have a couple more slides. This is Vitamin D Researcher's Dilemma. And I love this cartoon because it shows what the public is exposed to. You know, coffee, spin the wheel, um, causes sexual dysfunction, spin the wheel in rats. So it's like there's so much information out there that we don't really know, the public doesn't know, and so we have to compete on that level, and that's why we use the picture and metaphor approach. And then this is the public health worker's (laughs) dilemma, is we've got all this science, and social media trumps it every time. And so back to coming up with a culturally appropriate way of educating your community based on the culture of the people who live there. And this last slide, some of you, I would imagine, have already seen this, but the beauty of this conference, I believe, is that it's a linking of science and advocates in public health, and that's really what's going to take this to the next level, I believe. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.